there's a humility found in that, and we see that in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what it means to be submissive, to be humble, to look not on your own things, but the things of others. I acknowledge this is a hard thing to do. This is a hard thing to do. It's hard, but it's commanded of all of us. All of us are to submit to the authorities over us that God has placed in our lives. Why? What will that accomplish? It will accomplish joy and peace, but it will also be acknowledging God's agenda for you in conforming you to the image of His Son. What about husbands that are tyrannical, that are nasty? What about bosses who are just... I, I'm not thinking of a good word. Uh, unreasonable. What about policemen? You know, Did you know Romans chapter 13 says that law enforcement officers are servants of God. Puts a different light on for us, doesn't it? And of course, the Scripture also says that as law-abiding citizens, we have nothing to fear of a law enforcement officer, do we? Because we're doing what is lawful. It's those who are unlawful that have to fear. So, but I'm, I'm using that as an illustration. All these people, God has placed over us in authority, and we're called to submit, submit, submit as to the Lord. We're to humble ourselves, and we have this, the greatest example of all in our Lord Jesus Christ. As we put on Christ, we will submit. And when we fall short, when we don't, when we fail, don't let that stop you, inhibit you, paralyze you. Run to His throne. Tell Him what you've done. Ask for His grace. Receive His grace. Ask for His strength. He will provide for you. He will give you that strength. He will conform you to His image. 
but all of us need to submit. In fact, you know, um, as we look at these things, they're even the former list that we saw last week, they're all things that we desire in our relationships, aren't they? We wish everyone was that way, don't we? Right? We wish everyone we dealt with was compassionate and kind. Long-suffering, patient, forgiving, loving. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? And yet so often we don't want to be that person. We're quick to explain our circumstances that I'm really busy right now. I'm in ministry. Don't have time for this sin problem. Right? We make excuses. We blame. We judge. All the things that bring divisiveness barriers in our relationships instead of peace. And God has given us this gift of peace with Him foremost. And that's the relationship that we must keep right and have primary. When, when we look at families and marriage and, you know, we all wanted to get married so badly, didn't we? We wanted I wanted friendship, I wanted companionship. I needed someone who would support me in following Christ. And I got that. But you know what? If I'm honest, I haven't been all I needed to be to my wife in my relationship and we've been married going to be 34 years this summer. It's by God's grace. It's not by anything I've done. In fact, if it was, if she judged me according to what I've done, she would have left me long ago. No woman should have to deal with what I've dealt. But we're sinners, aren't we? We're sinners. And my wife, Laura, bless her, she treated me as God treated her. And I've been able to say, when my wife has failed me, say, I forgive you because God has forgiven me oh, way more than you've ever done to me. Husbands, love. Do not be harsh with them. Boy, right off the bat, we, us husbands in the room, stretch and puff out our chest and go, I got that one down, right? I know how to love my wife. I provide for her. I bring home a paycheck. Is that what love is? Part of it. But this love is a giving love. Sacrificial love. It's not dependent on anything received. Wow. It's not a payback. 
It's not because you fed me, I'll be nice to you. I'll do that chore that you wanted me to do. No. Even if we come home and there's nothing in the oven, there's nothing on the stove, our tummies are growing, we've got a list of chores to do. Give and keep giving and keep giving. Keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. Till you would lay down your life for love. If that's what Jesus did for you. That's the example we have, men, husbands, of loving our wives is giving until it costs us all. Are we prepared to love that way? Again, when, when we fall short, we are to cry out to the Lord, tell Him what we've done. And it would be really great if we told our wife what we've done too. And ask her to forgive us. And receive the Lord's forgiveness. And to ask our wife to be patient with us as we're learning to love as we've been loved. Because we're going to fail again. Don't promise her what you can't deliver. You're going to fail again. Tell her you will. And ask her to help you. Because you're partners, you're not enemies. So often, and when, when we become married, instead of holding hands like we used to, sometimes it's a... Isn't it? And, and that's natural, because if we're both king, who's going to be king? Right? We're going to fight. But that's not God's purpose for us. That's not what God wants to accomplish in us. But be prepared, it will happen. It happens to the very best of marriages. But what do you do from then on? Do you run? Do you receive grace? Do you run to the throne? Do you promise that, you, that God is still working on you? you will continue to receive His grace. Do not be harsh. Do not be harsh with her. Christ loved His church and He gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, purify her. Do you know, husbands, that's what we're called to do? We're also called to protect and to purify our wife, keep her from, from trouble, from temptation. Keep her. Sanctify her. Does your wife feel protected with you? Ask her if you don't know. That's putting yourself vulnerable that you might hear something you don't want to hear. Oh man, I've, I've had a lot of those moments. And 
it's honestly not fun, but it's so helpful to know how I could grow because I am totally blind to it. I think I'm doing a really good job. <laughs> and in my foolishness, in my pride, I don't see how far I've fallen short. But I've asked my wife, and she's told me, and I hasn't been fun to hear, Again, how do I treat her when it's difficult to hear? Forgiving, gratefulness. You see, did you remember last week we were told three times in those verses, in those commands, give thanks, be thankful, have thankful hearts. How does that happen? It, it's not feel thankful, it's give thanks. You see, when we give thanks, when we obey God in that, we are acknowledging He's on the throne. And number two, we're acknowledging His character. That He is perfect. And what He will do in my life is good. He will change me to be more like Christ. It's a trust. It's entrusting yourself to Him. You see, if you refuse to give thanks, what are you doing? You're saying, God, I don't believe you can handle it. I don't believe your character. Your character falls short here. I don't believe it. So how can you trust Him if you won't give thanks? How will you obey Him if you're doubting His character? Moving right along, children. <laughs> children obey. Your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. Remember, you're not the king. Jesus is. He has put your parents over you and He has called all of us to submit. So children, be willing, obedient. Children. How can we do that? What, do we, what do example do we see in Jesus? In the days of His flesh, in Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So children, you have an example in Jesus. He learned to obey. And he never failed. And because he never failed, 
His death on the cross was acceptable to God for you. If Jesus had sinned once, he would have died a martyr and his death would not have been accepted by God. And we would be lost. We would be sitting here thinking of all the six steps that we need to take to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be better people. How to get out of the bottle, how to get out of the pill jar, how to have stop yelling at our wives. We'd we'd be making all kinds of rules, right? To get along. To live in a civilized society. But Jesus obeyed perfectly. And he paid the price that we couldn't pay. And his price was accepted by God so that we could be forgiven. So children, we have a great example in Jesus and we're called to put on him with our parents. We're called to obey him. And then he gives another instruction here to fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't make them angry. Don't tease them to disobedience. Sometimes as a dad, we have a little power trip we like to play with our kids. We'll tease them. I'm a terrible teaser. My wife slaps me when I start teasing. She doesn't like it. But I think it's fun. But that's how it is, isn't it? When we tease somebody, when we are having fun at someone else's expense, oh, it's jolly. Except for them, on the receiving end, it isn't jolly at all, is it? It's painful, it's hurtful. It's, it brings temptation to sin. So fathers, do what you can to come alongside your children to promote obedience. Don't leave them dangling and watch and see if they're man enough to stand up. Because they're going to fall. And then what are you going to do? Are you going to pick them up? Are you going to nurture them? Are you going to help them and ask their forgiveness? We even have that in our relationships with other people's kids in ministry too, don't we? It's so it, we, we can be tempted, we can have fun at other people's expense, and that's wrong. Don't provoke others. Don't lead each, uh, others to sin. But build them up. Build them up. Then we come to relationships at work. Slaves. Verse 22, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Okay, just before we get there, basically the problem in employment can always be reduced to one single sin, and that is the sin of greed. Greed by the employee or greed of the employer. And Again, if there's two kings in the room, what's there going to be? Conflict, isn't there? Never going to be peace. Only it's going to be war. So Christ calls us to the same 
example he has given us. He's given us this command. He's given us this instruction. He lets us in on the secret. We are to be submissive. There There are authorities in our lives. So we come seeing this this purpose, and this purpose is to obey. This purpose is to obey. Obey in everything. Again, we have Christ's example of obedience. We also have Christ's example that we we just have to pay attention. When did Jesus start His earthly ministry? When He was 30. What did he do for 30 years as he was growing up? And he worked. He worked at a job. Just like you and me. So when we're tempted to think, oh, nobody has a boss like I do. Nobody's been asked to do the things I've had to do. I've had to climb into sewer pits. I've had to reach down in people's mess and pull out their dirty pumps and replace them, and that's no fun. And I like to let other people know how unfun it is. That's me being king again. We're to be obey in everything. As Christ obeyed. The principle is the same, to submit What's our motive? Do not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God, fearing the Lord. It's Again, we can conform, can't we? We can conform, and we often get in this thing that Christians really shouldn't do, mindset, because it's a mindset of the world, and that is, If I do this, I'll get this. Because we start transposing that to God. We think, oh, if I do this, okay, God, I'll be willing to go to Africa. But I sure hope you have somebody waiting for me when I get back who will become my spouse or, you know, who will write me a check or... We do that, don't we? But that's not grace. Grace is God's gift. And it's not dependent on anything you and I do. So we need to... Stop employing that even in our workplace as believers. Now, true, most people will acknowledge your behavior and reward you. But that's not what we're to work for. We're not to work for people to see and to be noticed by them because what are we doing? We're now putting this relationship as a primary, we're going, I'll do this really, really well so I can get this. I can get what I need, what I want out of this. 
When you do that, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to run into all kinds of problems because we can't meet each other's needs or wants. Our wants always increase, don't they? We, we want more and more and more. So what do we do? We have to keep this relationship primary. Our relationship with God who has given us all things in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Him in heaven. Do you understand that? You are with Him. Reigning with Him right now. And He has put His Holy Spirit in you to give you strength, to help you see and understand His Word, to give you the ability to do what He has called you to do. He is in you. We must fear Him. We must fear Him. It's so important, folks, that we understand that God is holy and He doesn't ignore our sins. The Bible says He may pass them by, but He will judge them. He will judge them. We're going to see that in just a few moments. Know who He is. He is a perfect, holy, just God. But for us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath has been delivered in full upon Jesus. We don't need to fear His wrath. Now, if we sin as His children, because He is our, now our Father, He will discipline us. He will correct us. Because He loves us. Because he has an agenda, and that agenda is to conform us to his image. He will do it. One day, when we see him, we will be like him. We will be completely transformed. Do you look forward to that day? Oh, I do. Oh, I do. I remember... As a teenager, kneeling beside my bed, crying to God to deliver me from sin. It seemed to have such a hold on my life. And I knew it. And I couldn't get rid of it. Because I kept feeding it. I kept giving in. God has given us His Holy Spirit in us to give us the strength, the power we need to starve that sin, to say, no! I am to put that to death. I am to live for Christ. And what in doing that, you see, we are ambassadors to our employers. We are ambassadors to our co-workers. We're pointing them to Jesus. It's not what I can accomplish. No, we are quick to admit our failures. We don't boast about our accomplishments. We, we boast that God enabled me to do 
what he gave me to do. He gave me his son and his spirit to give me the strength. Whatever we do, as for the Lord, not for men. We are acknowledging Jesus as the supreme king and that our trust of him and our trust of him showing others the transformation he is bringing about in us and being ready to share how he can save and bring transformation to others to them so how should our, what should our performance look like it, we should work heartily we should work heartily as for the lord and not for men you should be doing your best work for your employer. That they may acknowledge God. His saving grace. Again, you are not the Savior of your place of employment. You got that? You, God's not depending on you to save your workplace or your co-workers or the business you got it you hear me God's not called you to be the Savior who's the Savior Jesus you're just pointing to him you must be faithful in pointing to him You can't bring change. So what is the reason? The reason, knowing that, verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. God talks about the reward we're going to get in heaven. But you know why we get a reward? Not because of what we've done. Because it's Jesus' reward. It's God's reward to Him. And He gives it to us. And what do we do? The Bible says we will lay it at His feet. It's an eternal reward. It's not passing. It's not a... a I, got, I don't, don't know if I should say this, but I got an 11-cent raise. And I want to be thankful for that. I don't want to belittle that. It was a raise, and I'm thankful for it. But it's temporal. That 11 cents isn't going to stretch real far. Is it? You know that. You acknowledge that with me. But I can be grateful for it. And seriously, not belittle it. But I understand. It's passing. It's passing. Someday, I'm not going to be able to go to work and get a paycheck. Because I won't be able to do the work. It's passing. But a reward that is from Christ... And it's eternal. It's motivating. 
are serving the Lord Christ. Who are you working for? Oh, I work for such and such plumbing outfit. No, I serve Christ. I work for Him. For the wrongdoer, verse 25, will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Reminder that God is holy. He is just. He is judge. He sees everything. You are naked before Him. Nothing that you do is hidden from Him. He sees all. So you can quit kidding yourself that you did that on the sly. You took an extra five-minute break. You talked on the phone when you weren't supposed to. You uh, were receiving texts and transmitting texts when you know it was forbidden. God sees that. And He will judge impartially because He is just just. He is holy. You can't slip anything by Him. See why we're told to fear Him? We're to fear Him. We're to be pointing others to Him. And if we're doing things and getting away with things or trying to get away with things, um, taking advantage of others. We're acting like king and no longer are we pointing others to Christ effectively. We might say it with our mouth, but everybody sees what, you know, or, or it could be revealed what we're doing which will obliterate, nullify our effectiveness in pointing others to Jesus' goodness. Then, Paul shifts gears a little bit. Just before that, the gospel lens shows us that we are serving Christ, not just the employer. The warning is that the Lord will discipline without partiality in cases of disobedience. This is serious stuff, folks, isn't it? We are to put on Christ. We are to live Christ in our relationships. And we will fall. Don't be discouraged. Take heart. Go to Him. Confess to Him. Trust Him. Ask for His help. He will give it. We're, we come to this posture. I called it posture. Because it's now commands to the bosses. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slave justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a Master in heaven. Even bosses are to submit because they have a, there is King Jesus. Because Jesus is King and Lord. So, what should be our response? I've been saying this over and over, and I just want to, you to remember that these things. Don't be discouraged when you sin, when you fall short. Go to Christ. We, we sometimes think, 
oh, I, 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 can't, I went to Jesus to get saved. And I'm going to go to Him when I die. What about in between? Every day, every moment, we are to be running to Him. Crying out to Him, Lord, I fell short. In confession, we tell Him what we've done. Owning personal responsibility, our words and behavior, we make no excuses. We don't blame or claim outside influences caused us to sin. We don't We, we acknowledge, we do acknowledge that the greatest threat to my life and my living for Christ is in here. It's not out there. It's right here. My own heart. And we tell God that. We lead people to confession. What does God want this person to see that they are not seeing, and how can I help them see it? You aren't call, called to be their Savior. You aren't called to fix them. You're called to point them to Jesus. You can't confess, um, Paul Tripp said this, you can't confess what you have first not, have not grieved, you can't grieve what you haven't seen, and you can't repent of what you haven't confessed. You can't confess what you first have not grieved. You can't grieve what you haven't seen. And you can't repent of what you haven't confessed. That leads us to the second thing we're called to repentance. It's a change. It's a turning from to. From our sin to Christ. It's a radical change in my heart that leads to a radical change in my life. Our heart first. Our behavior follows. It won't help a person to give them a new behavioral agenda. And third, faith. I recognize the big problems are inside me. I need help. I'm driven to the cross of Jesus. He died for me here and now. I, I hope that this is an encouragement to you. This passage is um, so familiar. But I wanted to bring it to you and show you Christ and Christ's desire to show himself in you as you obey him in your relationships. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and Lord, I again acknowledge of my great need for you and my need for your help in promoting You, in pointing to others to You, in dealing with sin quickly in my life, and um, just being faithful to love You with a great love, the, the kind of love that acknowledges the greatness of the love that I've received through Jesus. Thank You for Your great Word for its teaching us, for its renewing our minds, changing our minds on how we view life and how we view You and how we exalt You and put You on the throne. 
where you are.